try and decide if you're gonna do Nadia Comaneci. Oh wow, look at you. Um or Sarah, what was her name? Klug or Krug or Krug or whatever that's Carrie Legging. Carrie Strug. Whether you're on a break or on a walk or getting a cup of coffee, you can drop in and listen to me, Lindsay, and my little sister Mallory tell you some positive, fun, uplifting stories to help you get through these weird times. We can all use some positive vibes. 31 episodes, girl. Can you even believe? Can you believe? Um, no, I can't. We've put so much time in it. I like I was talking to a friend at work the other day and he's like, "How's the pod going?" Like how many episodes have you done now? And I was like, we're getting ready to record our 30th. He's like, what? <laughs> He's like, that's insane. Insane. Like, Dude, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's, you know, it's, uh, but it's a really nice distraction. Cause I think that it, it gives me something else to focus on. Which yeah. I really appreciate. Yeah. And I do, I mean, like the original idea was that it was something that would be positive or provide like, uplifting stories to other people and so I find that like I'm spending that time that I would normally maybe be looking at like news or something like I am using it to look at this stuff so I know I read a ton of stories in preparation for today's episode and I feel like I could run through a brick wall right now because like (laughs) some of the some of the stories that I read I was just like let's go let's go (laughs) I know I I feel the same way I'm so (laughs) pumped about this one so we decided for this episode we wanted to tell sports stories and that was it that was like the only prompt we gave each other that was it i immediately knew that i wanted to do something with gymnastics i'm just gonna go there i knew obviously trying to decide if you're gonna do nadia comaniche oh wow look at you um or sarah what was her name klug or krug or krug or whatever that's carrie strug carrie strug oh stop (laughs) 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 okay but there's more than that the story i can't wait to hear oh my gosh you little little poopy head (laughs) almost said a cuss word Anyway, Ugh. yeah, so <laughs> Lindsay was doing his impression of what gymnasts do when they stick a landing. They throw their little arms in the air and their chests forward and curve their back. And yeah, really, used the to best make person... fun of me all the time. Remember, we used to do that in the pool all the time oh growing up? Oh my gosh, up? all the time. And it really became a thing that I've continued to do. Like, if I like <laughs> trip and like stumble a little bit, I'll be like, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> But the best, the best person, the best absolute person at doing that is Jonathan Van Ness. Oh my gosh. You know how obsessed he is with gymnastics and ice skating and I've listened to him have different uh, professional athletes on his podcast and he just like rattles off facts. It's insane. Like he's incredible. His podcast is incredible. Yes, it's called Getting Curious. It is Jonathan Van Ness is part of the Fab Five um, Queer Eye series on Netflix. It's a great uplifting thing to do in quarantine. He's from Missouri, isn't he? He's not from Missouri. Bobby is from Missouri. But oh, okay. Yeah, he's from uh, Illinois. Okay, that's right. Yeah. But anyway, no, you're right. Anyway, he's I'm sorry. So fabulous. <laughs> we are going on a tangent. And... <laughs> 
Um, okay, so we're telling sports stories. It's our 31st episode. We're both in really good moods. It's Thursday morning. The weather is fabulous here. All of the things you need to know. I'm sure the outlets are doing fabulous as well. And let's do the damn thing. Get into it, girl. Let's hear about okay. Miss Strug. Okay. So, as Lindsay mentioned, I'm going to talk about <laughs> Carrie Strug, but the story is bigger than that. Uh, because this story is actually more about the Magnificent Seven. So, oh, I don't know if that is. What? Okay. So let me take you back. The year is 1996. The Going scene back. is this Summer Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia. So this is very cool because I remember this so vividly. I was about seven. I guess I would have been like seven turning eight that year. I was in like the epitome of my gymnastics obsession. I did gymnastics for over 10 years growing up at this time. Like gymnastics was life, live, breathe, (laughs) bleed gymnastics. So this year was huge. The Olympics obviously are super special when you're little four years seems like an eternity. So when I was, let's say, Well, not let's say when I was four, three or four ish, there was the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Probably this was like the really the first Olympics that I could actually watch and know what was going on. And there's this like incredibly captivating story with these seven Olympic gymnasts and um, the story just gets better. But I will say that one really extra cool piece about this is that the Olympic team trials that year we're in St. Louis, Missouri, and I actually went with my gymnastics friends to the Olympic team trials. Yeah. Where, I didn't know that. I that. Yeah, with mom and Amy, my best friend still to this day, and Bernadette, her mom, the smothers as we affectionately call them. <laughs> and um, we all wore like our little Ozark Mountain Gymnastics little suits, and we went and watched the team trials, and it was that was like incredible but then like there was so much more stake in the game to watch the 1996 olympics and again they were in atlanta which is really cool um because they were in the u.s so the magnificent and Seven, one thing one thing that's really mm-hmm. cool about it when the olympics are in areas close to us is that we can watch it in like prime time it's yeah not like, it's not like you're watching replays from sochi or something that's like that very, you know what yeah, I mean? that's so a good point. that was a good it's a little tidbit that really made our viewership of that Atlanta Olympics, like even more awesome. Yeah. Like the age we were. And then like the time that it was on, it was just perfect. Anyway, sorry. Watching everything all day. It was so cool. So the, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the team, but before I get into it, I want to mention something that I found really interesting when researching this. So as I mentioned, 1992 Olympics were in Barcelona And the U.S. gymnastics team got a bronze medal behind Romania, which got the uh, silver medal. And then the unified team, which got the gold medal. And so the unified team was a joint team consisting of 12 of the 15 former Soviet republics that chose to compete together. So countries like Armenia, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Russia, (laughs) Ukraine, you. Uzbekistan and a couple of other countries to be completely honest that I'm not even totally positive how to pronounce. (laughs) So I'm just throwing it out there. The only other time that the unified team competed was in the um, 1992 winter Olympics, which Mm. seems I need to fact check that. I actually 
copy pasted that from Wikipedia, but <laughs> the Olympics are always, they're not the same year, the summer and winter, but maybe they were that year because of something strange. I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll have to check. Lindsay might be on it. <laughs> Dial it up. So we will come back with that fact. Anyway, I say that to be said that <clears throat> going into the 1996 Olympics, Russia and Romania emerged as like the main contenders in women's gymnastics. So those were like our competitors. So Russia, who didn't even compete in the 1992 Olympics, was now competing as its own country. And they were like our main competitors, which Nadia Comaneci, as you mentioned earlier, the first woman ever to score a perfect 10 was from Romania. That was much more like that was maybe the 70s and mm. the russians had svetlana horkina who was like the standout on the russian team who literally competed i think till she was like almost 40 it's crazy anyway so the u.s magnificent seven consisted of the following players amy chow so she was she's still there's still like a release move that is done on the uneven bars called the chow that competitors do today gymnastics has like really really evolved so the sport if you go back and watch like clips from 1996 to now like the entire scoring system has changed the way that they do gymnastics has changed as with everything it evolves um so it's pretty cool that she is still like they're still using like one of her release moves or her moves on the bars um dominique mochiano who's 14 years old at the time which mm. is insane to look at clips. Like she's a little girl. So she was the last gymnast to compete legally I'm using air quotes legally, because in one of the yeah. most recent Olympics, <laughs> the Chinese actually had um, a 14 year old compete illegally. Anyway. So the last gymnast to compete legally in the Olympics at the age of 14, Dominique Dawes, also known as awesome. Dawson <laughs> the first black woman to win an individual Olympic medal. She was a beast. In gymnastics. She was incredible. First black person of any nationality or any gender to win an Olympic medal in gymnastics. She's also, she was the oldest at the age of 19 years old. Oh my gosh. Uh, 19. Yes. Babies. Amanda Borden, who was the team captain. Shannon Miller, who ended up winning the gold medal in the balance beam and is the most decorated U.S. gymnast with a total of, so I say U.S. gymnast here with seven Olympic medals. And then a combined total of 16 world championships and Olympic medals. She is the second most decorated gymnast in like world. in U.S. history behind Simone Biles. Oh, so, no. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yes. Um, gotcha. So real quick. she actually on the... was born in Rolla, Missouri. Just side note. Shannon Miller was? Mm-hmm. Grew up no in Oklahoma. Yeah, I knew she grew yeah. up in Oklahoma, man. Her name is everywhere in Oklahoma. It's all over yeah. the place. Real quick on the 92 Olympics, because I didn't know this, and I think it's a fun little tidbit. The Olympics winter and summer used to be in the same year. And oh, the 1992 okay. Olympics was the last time that they were in the same year. Look at this fact. There you go. Sorry. Go ahead. Thank I just you. thought that no, was such I a cool note. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So JC Phelps was also on the team. And mm-hmm. lastly, Carrie Strug. So mm-hmm. she made her first Olympic appearance in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Again, where the U.S. gymnastics team received bronze. So let me uh, get to the good stuff here. So as I mentioned earlier, Russia and Romania were expected to come in and just sweep the U.S. gymnastics gold team, like gold team championship, gold team medal (laughs) competition at at the Olympics. The thing about gymnastics is that there's 
just a few quick facts. There's four different events. So there's vault, bars, beam, and floor. And that's for the women. The men is a little different. And so individuals can compete to win in each of those events. Then there's a team all-around win. And then there's individual all-around win. So they were expected, Russia and Romania, to win the team all-around. Got you. So the U.S. gymnastics team just killed it. It, And all these competitions take place on different days. So it's not like everyone competes in just one fell swoop and then they calculate the totals. So in the team, so it's like there's pressure on everyone for those specific events on those specific days to win the team because it's the team competition. And the U.S. team was killing it. Killing it. Killing it. They went into the final event, the vault. And they only needed to score. Dominique Mociano, again, the 14-year-old, needed to score like a 9.1 on vault, which 9.1 out of 10 seems pretty good for an Olympic gymnast. Pretty easy to do. That's not a, that's not a, a walk high, in the park, super high man. score. It's a yeah. walk in the park. Dominique Mociano competes both her vaults. The vault is the one where you run down a long runway. You hit a springboard. You flip over like a four-inch not a four inch, sorry, that's the beam, but like a very small thing. Um, And you bound onto it and then you flip off of it and then you land on the other side and she falls on both of her vaults. So next up, and they, all they needed was a 9.1 to secure. I forgot about this. This is drama. So what'd she get? You know, uh, not a nine one, I guess. (laughs) She ended up, no, she didn't get a nine one. And the thing is like the way that it, what like there was other like the russians were still competing on their events so it was kind of like okay if this person goes and they're on bars and they get this then so it's like it was like you know there's a lot of factors there's a lot going on but like if they secured this 9.1 like she would have basically it would have been like really hard for the russians to win got you so next up is carrie strug and Carrie Strug gets up there. And the vault, also, you get two vaults. And then they take the average of your two vaults as your score. Carrie Strug mm. gets up. She vaults. And she falls. So they're like, they've had three vaults in a row where they've fallen. Which is, like, unheard of. That it's just unheard. doesn't really yeah. happen. Like, these, again, are Olympic gymnasts. So not only does she slip and fall, but <clears throat> she feels a snap in her ankle. Mm. Turns out she had torn two tendons and had like a third degree fracture or something in her ankle. She goes back, texts her coach, Bella Caroli, and he's like, you have to, you have to do this second vault. They wrap her ankle. There's like video of her sitting there. She's like. And how old, how old was Carrie Strug? I mean, she was between the ages of 14 and 19. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she was probably like 17, 18, I guess, if she had competed in the 92 Olympics. I got you. Hold on real quick. So 19 years old. 19 years old. Okay. So she was the same age as uh, Dominique Dodd. A anyway, freaking child. A child. So she gets up. She runs down the runway, hits the vault, flips, lands, Sticks the landing. Sticks it. Pretty much on one foot. Like, you watch it, and she immediately, like, she sticks it, turns, salutes the judges, and immediately falls to the ground. She can't even walk off the mat. Her coach, they go, they pick her up. 
She gets a 9.712. The U.S. gymnastics team, for the first time in the history of the universe, wins the U.S. all or the U.S. the Olympic gold medal in all around for gymnastics. Man, so that was like I. It was iconic on so many levels. This just like incredible team. And all these different key players, everyone played their part. Like, it all worked out. But then, like, they won in, like, such a dramatic fashion. So it really became, like, this, you know, she ended up being, like, on a Wheaties box and having, like, a cameo in 90210. And, like, you know, she, like, you know, it became the symbol of, like, determination and perseverance and... I was watching a video and they're like, pain is temporary. Pride is forever. And I was like, just incredible. So that is my story and I love it. And it makes me so happy and so excited to go back and relive some of that. I would encourage you to go and watch some of those videos. But with that. So real quick, can you clarify a couple things for us? One. I will try. (laughs) One. How much time is in between each of these vault attempts? So like in a normal like meet, a like a minute, like it's not like, minutes. it's not like, you, not even a few minutes. Like it's not like you, you go, you vault, you walk back down and you do it again. Right. So it's not like you go, somebody else goes, it's not like you're in a line. So it's no, not like, no, not at all. So it's not like there was time for them to like shoot her up with pain meds or like they no, literally I only mean, had they time to wrap her, her, wrap her ankle. Yeah. I think it's like, even been said <clears> that she like asked her coach, like, do you need me? to do this and he's like you have to do this and Bella Caroli is like notorious for being really really hard tough yeah we um, won't go down the Bella Caroli path we won't go down the whole <laughs> effed upness of the U.S. gymnastics in the last however many years but he you know he he pushed her and Dude, she he pushed her and something that like I just have chills sitting here is I've messed up my legs I've never done what she did all at once but the thought of her running, mm-hmm. the pain of running would be so tremendous. Then landing on the springboard with all yeah. of your weight running as fast as you can, the pain of <laughs> that, then <laughs> leaping off of that freaking thing and trusting your legs to like carry Catch you through you. and yeah. then flipping, which you with a blind landing as well with That's a blind landing and then landing on that and i know that pads there to like help them like if they fall really bad but i always have thought that those little soft pads look like it'd be really hard to on your ankles like when you land like and be like wonky and she dude i remember that she stuck that dude Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it's uh... an iconic image and then the iconic image of her being like carried to the podium with like a cast on her ankle um it's one of those memories that i just have of it it's a memory of that moment watching her do that but more it's a memory of you watching that moment oh my (laughs) god you were so the whole world dude you were like running around jumping over the couches like oh yeah flying around (laughs) doing flips kicking my little uh, feet everywhere handstands cartwheels yeah man that is incredible Shout and I didn't Carrie remember Shrug. all of the like I remember the fact that she hurt her ankle, but I didn't remember that it was like literally she hurt it in the final moments of the competition yes. to win the all around for the US women's team. 
Dude, and she's smiling. For the first time ever. She's smiling, but her face is like twisted in pain at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Dude, imagine really if that cool. would have happened in the day of social in the age of social media. It would have been it, it, Twitter would have melted down. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I my. immediately think of Instagram, but yeah, Twitter for sure. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Thank you so much for telling that. Yes. I love that we kind of have like this brainwave because I just had a feeling that that was like, you're going to talk about something about gymnastics. I knew that. And then I, what did I call her? Carrie Clug. <laughs> Carrie Strug. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome, dude. Okay. So my story is also about somebody getting hurt. So the... I'm going to explain to you a little bit because I, I, I'm not trying to mansplain anything, but I just want to make sure that you understand how PGA Tour golf events work, right? So I understand 0% of how that works. Okay. So you can mansplain to me all day. <laughs> okay. So PGA Tour golf events um, take place over four rounds generally, um, like 99% of the time. And so <clears throat> the field is is like – a huge field, you know, 150, 100 people or whatever at the beginning. And so the first two rounds, you just kind of get paired up with uh, your playing partners. And generally you play one day in the morning and then the next day in the afternoon or vice versa. And then after the first two rounds are over, then they cut the field. So they, you know, every tournament has its own qualifications for how they cut the field, but it's called making the cut. So if you're above that cut line, then you get to play on Saturday and Sunday and Saturday and Sunday is when the money's made. And so you have to make the cut to make the money. And so a lot of, a lot of stats and stuff are about people making, you know, so many cuts in a row. I mean, Tiger Woods has a record for most cuts made in a row and it's just insane. But even making the cut every week is is hard to do. You basically have to be in the top half after the first two rounds. So anyway, I'm going to take you back to 1974, the Tallahassee Open. Okay. And it was Ooh. played at the Kill Earn Country Club in Tallahassee, Florida. And I had never heard about this. And that that was a wild place in the 70s. Dude, I bet it was too. And just wait for what I'm about to tell you. Okay. So, um, so where was I? 1974 Tallahassee Open at Killern Country Club. Um, this is not like a big major tournament or anything like that. Um, but I'm going to tell you the story about Mike Reeser. And before I get into it, I just want to say that I know social media gets a bad rap um, and that I hate it as much as anybody else generally. But finding stories like this is why I love social media and why Twitter is the first place I go in the morning because – you just come across stuff that you just would never know about. I mean, 1974 Tallahassee open. How would I ever know anything about that anyway? Okay. So Mike Reeser played on the PGA tour from 1969 to 78, which is a good stretch of time. Nine years on the PGA tour is a good stretch of time. He never won a tournament, but he was in the top 10, 10 different times during that span. So that's a pretty good 10 different times. Wow. Yeah. So he finished in the top 10 of a tournament 10 different times during that nine year career, which isn't anything to write home about. But man, being on the tour for that long and being top 10, like he's a good consistent, I guess you could say like he pretty consistent. And he's I mean, he's world class. I mean, that's you know, I mean, so anyway, take you back to the 1974 Tallahassee Open. Mike Reeser, his whole goal at the Tallahassee Open is to make the cut. And then finish the tournament because the Byron Nelson, which is like actually a pretty premier tournament, was in a couple of weeks. And in order to qualify for that tournament, he had to make the cut and finish the Tallahassee Open. So first two rounds go go by. He plays well. 
He's even par, which means that he basically did exactly what he was supposed to do as a professional golfer. And he um, is right. He's not above the line or below the line. He's right on the line. So he makes the cut. And after his second round, he must have played early in the morning because he must have had a lot of the day left. He decided to go horseback riding with a friend. Casual. (laughs) Casual. And he's like, oh, I'll just like wind down from this tournament and from these couple of rounds and I'm gonna go ride some horses around the panhandle of Florida. Well, his horse gets spooked for some reason and chucks him into a tree, <gasps> like full speed, like running and then like throws him off into a tree. Mike, <laughs> Mike separated his shoulder poor rib cartilage which i can't even imagine how bad that would hurt and damaged knee ligaments in this All like horse wreck basically pretty prominent in golfing pretty Knees, you need them shoulders pretty, pretty bad yeah right <laughs> right so but he couldn't stop playing because he wanted to make get this exemption so what he did is he showed up on the tee box on saturday the next morning day or like and a- The next day, no, the next day. So he played Thursday, Friday, shot even par, went out horseback riding on Friday, got smashed into a tree, (laughs) jacked himself up. Then he still had to play these two other rounds. And normally people would just withdraw. Yeah. My God, people withdraw for a lot less. But he had to keep playing because he wanted to make the, he wanted to qualify for the Byron Nelson. So he doesn't go to the driving range. He tells his caddy, like, hey, we're, we're doing it. We're going to give it a go. We're going to try it out. So he shows up at the tee box on, on Saturday morning, and he's got one club. <laughs> and he has his five iron. I mean, he probably had all of his other clubs, but he decided that he's only going to play with one club. So he took his five iron, which is kind of a middle-of-the-road club. Like, you can hit it, hit it like kind of like as far as anything else, pretty much. But it's just kind of like a normal – I, I'm butchering this, but it's just like a middle of the road club. Kind of like a multi-use club. Like you can kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like a special. You can use it anywhere. What's right. a putter? Yeah. It's not a putter yeah. or a driver. It's okay. just in the middle. So he steps up on the tee box, tucks his left hand into his belt because his shoulder separated, <gasps> right? He grabs this five iron with one hand and smacks the ball as hard as he possibly can with torn cartilage in his ribs, damaged knee ligaments and his separated shoulder. And he's using one hand and he's only going to use this one club. He hits it. It doesn't even get to the ladies tees, which are probably like 50, 100, 150 yards out in front of him. So not very far. He ends up shooting 123 on Saturday. So I didn't get a chance to look up par, but par at these professional tournaments are generally like 72, 70 to 72. So he shot 123. He played the entire round 123, which is mind boggling high. And people, he said that like his, his playing partners were like laughing at Did him. Did anybody in the, in the know gallery what was were, going on? Yeah. Okay. Everybody knew everybody kind of figured it out. So he shot a 123 on Saturday Everybody's like, dude, you got to withdraw. Like, come on, man. You can't keep playing. He's like, no, I already did it. Like, I'm going to do it again. Shows back up on Sunday morning. Because remember, they already made the cut. So it's like, no matter how he bad he does now, all he needs to oh do is finish. God. And so he steps up on Sunday, tucks his left <laughs> arm into his belt, <laughs> grabs his five iron, and whips that club around and hits it out there. And he actually improved his score by nine shots on 
on Sunday. He shot a 114 <laughs> on Sunday and he finished at 93 over par for the tournament. <laughs> they don't keep track of like the highest score ever in a tournament, but there's no way that anybody's ever shot a higher score. Like everything I looked up, everybody's like, dude, no way that that's like the highest ever. So he shot a 93 over par for the tournament for us total strokes of 381, right? So he shot 237, right? Yeah, 237 in his last two rounds. The winning score of the Tallahassee Open in 1974 was 274. So he almost shot what the winner shot for four rounds. He almost shot that in two rounds, but he finished. And so on Sunday, as he was coming down the stretch, like the last couple of holes, he said that there, or everybody said that his gallery, the fans that were watching him was more than the, than the leaders. So like there were more people watching him play on Sunday, (laughs) Sunday afternoon, than we're watching the people that were actually playing well. Cause they were like, you (laughs) got to see this Mike Reeser dude playing one handed with one club. Oh my God. Well, like, I mean, how often does like the sport of golf really get like shaken up like it was probably like so it just feels like it's so straight laced and it's straightforward and so for someone to be doing something so obscure and like persevering you also probably don't have a lot of people who are injured and granted he wasn't injured from golf but like that's (laughs) right dude he stuck with it the winner was a dude named alan miller who will never be remembered for winning the (laughs) tallahassee open and the things that the thing that sucks about this is that um, Mike was too injured to play in the freaking Byron Nelson, so he did all this work and then That's he couldn't even play in the Byron Nelson. My gosh, like he's not two weeks have... later. He couldn't even pull it together, dude. But he uh, he played for a couple more years on the PGA Tour and uh, unfortunately passed away a couple years ago, right after a round of golf. But he just had a hell of a life, and he was kind of like. My favorite movie of all time, one of them is Tin Cup, and it's kind of like a Tin Cup story. I mean, it's just awesome. It's, so he sounds. I like love a, that story. Like, you just get an idea of like this is like a f- fun guy, like in a way, you know, yeah, like dude. he's going horseback <laughs> yeah. riding. He has he's playing, playing golf, golf one handed. Like, you know, it was like he had his goals. He was going to stick to what he I, wanted to do, dude, yeah. and no one was going to be able to tell him. It just, I think that that is a really cool fun story that i obviously I did it. not those know. are both those go yes. together perseverance dedication pride playing through pain playing man. through pain baby <laughs> oh so fun well i actually need to go to a meeting so i am going to be done with this we killed it love you kiddo i see love you, tomorrow. you too i will see you tomorrow bye 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 Thank you guys so much for listening to the Filling Station pod. Mallory and I are having a fantastic time delivering you these hilarious and uplifting stories. If you want to be involved with the podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Filling Station pod, or you can email us at the Filling Station pod at gmail.com.